Most parents in America don't think it's a good thing to spank their children. They think it will damage them. But are they right? Welcome to The Conquering Truth. I'm Dan Horn. I'm Jonathan Sides. I'm Charles Churchill. And I'm Joshua Horn. So psychiatrists have decided that spanking your children produces violent children. Yeah, they call it science. And, and superficially, it makes sense, right? The, there's the idea of that if you live by the sword, you'll die by the sword, which is a biblical concept. And so they go, well, if you're violent towards the children, that just teaches them violence, and then they'll be violent. But, of course, God says very different things about spanking. He says, spare the rod, despise the child. It's actually hatred to avoid the rod. So how did the psychiatrist get so wrong? So, I mean, the, the easy answer is to say they're, against God's, they're going against God's word, but you've kind of already covered that. The more in-depth answer is a psychologist is supposed to understand what human beings are, and they start off with a flawed understanding of what human beings really are. They deny that we're framed in sin, that man is a slave to sin, and that's where he starts off, and that even a person who has been saved still bears in their body, the, you know, still bears the, the curse of sin in a ways in their flesh, and that there are real things that can be done to constrain sin to constrain the slavery of sin over an unsaved man so that they can live in a way that does not force them to serve sin so fully. And I think, you know, kind of very related to what you just said is that the, the psychologists go, oh, the spanking produces violence because they ignore the fact that the children are violent already. Little children are very violent. It's just that they're little, so they can't do much damage. But they're very violent. They don't hesitate to hit their mother. They don't hesitate to kick. They don't hesitate to do anything. So it's not like you have to teach them violence. They know violence. I mean, Vody Bauckham's famous for you know talking about how a child when he comes, you know, he has this phrase, you know, they're vipers and diapers, you know, and certain things like that. But he he does give an accurate. I mean, he gives an accurate picture. You know, when a child is born, one of the ways they test that a human is, you know, they, 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 when they're born, they bring them out into the world and they're looking for them to kind of scream and they're looking for them to, you know, the child is not happy usually by the results of labor. You know, labor does not please a child. It's, it's not a pleasant experience. And, you know, I've heard multiple people say it before, is if the child had the strength and coordination to do it, he would throw a temper tantrum that would probably, you know, leave everybody in the room with bruises. He might kill people in the room because he's angry and he's, you know, but he's so weak, he can't do anything. But the child, if he had his way, he's very unhappy. And you've seen children before like this. Whenever they're even little, little children, whenever they're upset, they can, they will, they do not care who they harm. They care about no one but themselves. And at a certain point, they have to be taught to constrain their their desires and their impulses. And so kind of pushing back, being a psychologist for the moment, one of those, the arguments against using spanking as a tool to push back against that is, well, when the child's already violent and you're just reinforcing that violence by acting violently towards a child by giving them some form of corporal punishment. Right. And I would, and I, Part of it is, is I would I would push back against even their, the def, the definition of it being violent, and 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 there is just a part of it where I mean spanking is not designed to be something you know violence in a sense is intended to injure someone else. It's it it has intent built into it. It is not something that you know causing harm, causing pain is not inherently violence. And there's a real part of this where I mean if you look at the world, 
one of the ways you learn not to do certain things is you have consequences. This is a fundamental aspect of the world. You know, you, you jump off something that's too high. Gravity does not go, well, you're young. You know, gravity doesn't change. You know, the, the world, you know, you, you fall on a hard floor. The hard floor doesn't get soft because you have different amounts of knowledge. And one of the ways you learn things is by experience. And so there is a part of it where what a parent is saying is, is the world, the cost for doing these types of things goes up as you get older. Right now, I'm going to start introducing you to consequences for your actions in a very low cost way. Something that does not have any long-term negative effects, something that is not, something that's very transient, but something that is going to show you when you do certain things, there is a negative reaction. And it's, it's, and it's really, that's about as basic as it gets. Right, because, you know, a psychologist could say, well, look at all the, the children in the world, you know, that don't get spanked and look how successful they are. And, you know, the reason why they can say that, generalizing here, is because they redefine what a, you know, successful child, re child rearing is. They, they redefine it so that, you know, when the child is two, they're, you know, constantly, you know, throwing temper tantrums, the terrible twos. Even when they get to be a teenager, they go through this very rebellious stage where you expect them to hate their parents. And, you know, maybe by the time they're in their 20s, their 30s, they, then they've kind of come around and they see that actually, you know, th when they finally have kids of their own, then they finally understand, well, actually, my parents didn't really hate me. You know, they actually were trying to do the best thing for me. And so, but if you redefine that as successful child training, then sure, you can have successful child training without spanking. They also deny just the existence of God in the world. And there is this part of it where God is gracious to people that even didn't have parents that spanked them. And so there's this part of it where their fundamental view is, is there could not be a God in the world showing mercy to people. And so, you know, there are people who did not receive any spanking, and yet God caused them to learn some of these things through other means and through alternate means. And that, that's no excuse for a parent to not do what they should do. And it doesn't, you know, it doesn't explain away the realities of the benefits. And it's also, I mean, it's saying inherently violence is wrong. And the reality is that's just a lie. Because if somebody's breaking in to kill your mother, you should be violent towards them. And so what we want to do is redefine violence to make violence inherently wrong. There's a place to go to war. There's a place to use violence. And so even if you want to call that spanking violence, the point more is that everything, or one of the points is that everything is in the world and everything has a purpose. I mean, God is very violent. You have to describe surgery as violent, too. Surgery you know what I mean? is you violent, have, right? You're you stabbing something with something. And so, I mean, I think part of it is what you're teaching your child is that there are places for these things and there's a right purpose for these things. And there's wrong ways to do it. And the way they're using their violence is wrong in the way that you're using it, if you're doing it properly with a desire to correct, is right and it's good. And so the fact that you use force doesn't make it inherently wrong. And where we get so nutty now is with all the gender stuff and everything, a lot of it comes down to you're not allowed to use any kind of force, not even a word like we talked about C4 in a recent episode. The Canadian law, C4, that says that you're not even allowed to tell your child that he, you know, the, the boy that he shouldn't wear girls clothes. Because we've gotten to the point where we've said violence is all evil and even words are violence. Right. And no, violence has its place and it has its purpose where you go, I am going to use violence to constrain this. And the violence that we're talking about here of using a rod is not – I mean it's, it's a constrained thing with a purpose 
just like going to war with a nation should have a purpose, you know, and, and that's what you're doing is you, you're trying to stop something from happening that shouldn't be happening. I mean, just to push back on that, okay, I get it. Violence is okay in cases where you've got a robber who's breaking into your house. Violence is okay in cases where you're defending your country in just war. But, I mean, violence against your kids, is that ever okay? Yes. I mean, <laughs> but, but I mean, you, I, I can see how those two ones are obviously okay. But you think, I mean, these, these tender small children, you shouldn't be violent toward them. If you adopt the modern secular worldview, then the answer is no, it's not okay. And the answer is, you know, how can you, you know, the, the kids are born perfect. And, you know, whatever issue they have is because of society and you as parents and the way you train them. That that's where all the evil in them comes from. And if you accept that, well, then, you, you know, you, you have an issue with, with spanking. You know, if you're starting from the modern worldview, you're not going to end up at, at spanking probably. In a sense, they all do end up at spanking, though. They don't use a rod the same way. But they all go at some point in time, you have to use violence against them. If it means incarcerating them, if it means, you know, at some point in time, somebody comes to the point where they go, we put up with enough, we're going to use violence. And the idea that you can escape that, it's just not inescapable in this world. Because if you think you can be completely unconstrained and nobody will ever use violence to constrain you, you're dreaming. This is a lot of the Black Lives Matter stuff is that a lot of these people that are doing these events, they've lived their life and they've been told that they should have no constraint on their behavior. So even though they've done all this stuff, all of a sudden somebody's constraining their behavior and people are going, you're not allowed to do that. Well, no, that is what happens because otherwise you can't live in the world with other people. You know, but the real reason why you know, we're saying that spanking is the answer to the, the wickedness in the children is because that's what God says. For example, Hebrews 12, 7 through 9. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? I mean, and, and here it's even just saying that a father who spanks his child. I mean, that word for chasten there, it's translated, I think, scourging in the in the King James Version. I mean, you know, chasten sounds so much, you know, chasten could be, you know, you know I mean, no, it's, it's, it is, this is not a word that is, can just be, you know, taken down to just mean little corrections and things like that. It, it, it really is talking about spanking and corporal punishment. But to a father who, who chastens his child is, is like a picture of God because he's saying that he loves his child in the same way that God loves his children. And this passage makes some assumptions, though. That passage makes the assumption that the child is wrong about stuff fundamentally in ways that need to be corrected. Right. And that's, that's a break with the, a lot of the, the psychological view that we're pushing against. Right. You know, we want to say that the world is a certain way. God says it's a certain way. God's made it a certain way. And that mankind is a whole bunch of little rebels in it that needs correcting and various kinds of correctings. And, and we're talking really specifically about one particular mode in one particular authority structure that God says, hey, that's a picture of me. And I think, you know, when you look at all the authority structures too, all the authority structures are put in place because there's a real need to constrain sin. And all the humanists, whether they're, you know, they call themselves that or not, that's their viewpoint is that they're coming from human, uh, that's saying that humans ultimate. And because of that, they're all saying 
that the human's desires don't need to be constrained. And the reality is the world, everybody knows that's not true, right? There's nobody who can actually look at the world honestly and say that people's desires should never be constrained. Everybody says they have to be constrained because otherwise they'll do damage to each other. But yet they want to say that that's not the nature of man. And God says that is the nature of man. We're sinners and that sin needs to be constrained. And that's what authorities have been given, whether it's the state, whether it's the family. You know, those authorities have been put in place to constrain sin because sin needs to be constrained. I mean, and the language, the language follows suit because what you'll hear people say is that's completely natural. That's, that's normal and that's natural for a child to do that. And they're right. It's normal and it is natural. And what the Bible says is that the ways of a man, you know, the ways of a man lead to death. The ways that a man wants to go after, they lead to his destruction. And so there's this part of it where what they're saying is, is what's normal and natural. There's nothing wrong with it. They're saying the fact that it leads to death isn't a bad thing at all. And, you know, and then they want to deny that it really leads to death, even though you look at these things and you can even just, it's not like hard to follow the causal chain. It's not like it's some invisible, you know, pathway to it. I mean, I've, you know, I remember right after I had my first child, I remember watching on the news where a police officer had to shoot a child because the child had a weapon and the police officer told the child to put it down and the child would not put it down and the police officer shot him. And I remember looking at my kid and going, I don't want my child to get in that situation where my child cannot control himself, where my child is not able to listen to someone who's telling him this and he has to be killed because he can't control himself. And so, you know, I mean, just there are really easy, practical things. And, and children are very different. There are children who that would never be a problem. That specific scenario would never be a problem for them. There are other children where you look at them and you don't have to know them very long to go. This one's likely to be standing in front of a police officer holding a weapon unless someone intervenes. And so, I mean, it's, it's, it's very interesting when you, when you watch them and actually deal with them. And so part of it is that, you know, when you look at what a, a psychologist is thinking, they're not thinking that the behavior needs to change. And what happens sometimes in, you know, even professed Christian circles is that the person using the rod isn't seeing it as a means to correct the child's behavior. And if you're just beating your child for the sake of beating your child, that is violence. That is unjust violence towards your child. And that's not the point. What, that's not what we're talking about. We're not saying it's impossible to abuse a child. But the fundamental aspect of abuse is not how hard you hit the child. It's whether you're trying to actually change the child, applying wisdom and saying this is actually a way to change the child's behavior. If you're just getting your anger out, you are being violent towards the child. And that's not what God's talking about when he says, spare the rod, despise the child. You can see this reinforced by scripture, like in Proverbs 23, 13, and 14. Do not withhold correction from a child. For if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. You shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell. And there's another part, the last part we want to talk about this, but the first part here is do not withhold correction from a child. And I mean, and, and one of the things is, is, so I mean, it's not the rod of, it's not the rod of beating, it's not the rod of pain, it's not the rod of suffering, it's the rod of correction. And correction means to change your course. 
I mean, you talk about course correction and things like that. It means to change the direction you're headed. It means to change what, you know, this is, this is wrong and I'm going to help you understand how to make this right. And that's very, very important. I mean, whenever you said that there are people out there spanking their children for different reasons, there are some people who spank their children just to show them the wrath of God. And that's not what scripture says the purpose of a spanking is either. I mean, it is. That's not what God does to his children. That's what he right. does to unbelievers as a rebellion to him, but not right. what he does with his children. And so, I mean, and it's, it's, and it's really important because, I mean, one of the things I tell my kids is a spanking is the good thing that is happening before your sin goes further. You know what I mean? There's, you, you go out and sometimes you sin and you don't get caught and you think, that's great, I got away with it. The problem is, is you go and you do another sin and you do another sin. And every time you don't get caught, every time you don't get confronted, every time you don't get corrected, you go towards bigger sins. And this is not the good. The, the bad thing is the person who ends up standing in front of God and all of their sins have not been corrected. And all they've never had a moment where someone has stopped them and went, wait a minute. Do you understand this is wrong? They've not been confronted in their sins. The spanking is the good thing that happens along the way. And it's, and it's just really important. to. There's just this, there's this conflation between the wrath of God and spanking that doesn't have a fundamental connection at all. In fact, Scripture really doesn't tie them together in any way. But it does tie it together with correction. And you need to make sure that that is absolutely a part of what you're doing. I mean, a big part of what you're doing with, with you're trying to correct is you are trying to teach self-control. Right. You've got a child who's, who's sinning in a particular way. You've probably tried other means to address it along the way. But, but that child can't control themselves, which is just another way of saying that they're a slave to sin. And you're, you're trying to correct that child to reduce the amount of the, the effects of that slavery on them. You're trying to help that child to be a free person. And this is, this is one of the tools that God's given to a parent. And, and we think, oh, oh that's terrible. But, but the alternative is your children end up slaves. And that slavery grows, right? I mean, like you were saying, I mean, sin is like leaven. And if you don't do anything about it, it just gets worse. I mean, this is why in, in Leviticus 19, it says the same thing about your neighbor. If you see your neighbor in sin and don't rebuke your neighbor, you become guilty of his sin and you hate your neighbor. And so this is the, the picture is if we just let them continue to sin and don't do anything to constrain them, we hate them. And, you know, the writer of Proverbs is not saying that a, a full-grown man can't kill a two-year-old. A full-grown man could use a rod and kill a two-year-old. But when they do that, they're not trying to correct them anymore. They're trying to get rid of their anger. They're not saying, I want to deal with his sin. And so we need to make sure whenever the rod's used is the idea is they have sin that they need to deal with. And they even, you know. Everybody's making a cost calculation, even when you're a, a slave to sin, where you go, well, is this worth it or not? And what you're doing is you're rebalancing the scale so that they go, no, it's not worth it. Right. You're not, you can't change their heart. So all of a sudden they go, I don't want to do that sin. But you can make it so that they say, I'm not going to do that sin. Because like you said, if you do that sin, the next sin gets bigger and bigger and bigger until somebody stops you at some point. I think it's an important point to say that, you know, you're not truly changing the child's heart and and making them uh not be uh, in slavery to sin that you're converting them through the use of the rod but now that statement appears to be in contradiction to the verse that was just read which says that 
um, and and deliver his soul from hell. That when you use, uh, use your rod on the child, that you're delivering his soul from hell. So when we read a verse like that, right, we immediately go to the idea of when we read deliver from hell, that we go to the idea that this means salvation. But that word hell is Sheol, which has a much broader meaning, including just the grave. And so I think that to say that you can save somebody by beating them, that's clear in Scripture. There's only one way to the Father, and that's through the Son, and the Son is not the rod. So there's no question that it can't mean that. But I think what it's saying is, you shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell, from the grave, from destruction. Because the reality is, is a child that's undisciplined will destroy themselves. I mean, this is the pattern they're on. And now they can have all different kinds of discipline. I'm not saying that it always has to be the rod. But they need something to teach them how to control their sin. And we look at the difference between like the inner city and other places, and there's a real different structure when you're in a gang about controlling sin and stuff, that it's only sin to the strongest and the mightiest. But there's all these constraints that get into place and still people die in those situations. And the idea here is it you can teach them how to preserve themselves, how to not go to destruction, not to how they go to heaven, but how they don't go to destruction. And, and I think if you also remember the 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 part of scripture in Proverbs, it's not that every proverb is a is it's it's is setting the general rule of how things work out. And it's not a promise, you know, even if you were to take it that we're talking about, you know, eternal punishment. It's not a promise that every child who you use the rod on once will go to heaven you know it's that god often uses it could be interpreted as saying god often uses this in the child's salvation doesn't mean that every child that gets the rod goes to heaven and the reality is is that in hebrews it talks about or excuse me the reality is in galatians it talks about that the law is a tutor that leads to christ and the idea is you are not more likely to find Christ if you just have your sin completely unconstrained and you just run away with sin. That is not the most likely way to find Christ. There's people who pretend that if you get to the lowest of lows, that's when you'll come to salvation. Most people come to salvation because they see the constraint. And yes, they're pushing against the constraint, but they're not to the point where they're destroying themselves before they come to salvation. God uses the rod. God uses the constraint of the law to bring people to Christ. And there's, there's a part of it where it shows the child their slavery to sin. I mean, and this is a really big thing that people want to deny. They want to deny slavery to sin. And I mean, you look at some of the things that kids get spanked for. You look at some of the things that adults get spanked for. They're really dumb. The thing that they can't stop doing. It's not like it's really important. It's not like it, even sometimes it's just, it's just a hill they choose to die on that day because they're a slave to sin. You mean, you know, say, say, I'm sorry. This is a kid who can say they're sorry. There's no reason not to say they're sorry. They, do you know you're wrong? Yes. And they can say anything else. And as a parent, you'll be setting the rack in your mind. Maybe they've got a mental block now and they can't say, I'm sorry. <laughs> maybe, they've, maybe they've just developed, they've had a, they've had a brain, the lesion on their brain and the part of their brain that says the words, I'm sorry. And they just can't say it. And it has, and it, this is, you are confronting them with their slavery to sin. And God does this with us at times. You know, as, as you look back at when you come to, came to salvation, you look back and you go, you would see these things that you would go, I'm, I'm never going to do this again. I'm never going to do this again. And you just dive headlong back into it. And you go, why, why, why? And God's confronting you with the fact that you are a slave to sin. And that is really key. 
And so there's this part of it where, where people go, if you're a slave to sin, there's no point in spanking your child. And like you said, I mean, I'd really want to hammer on what you said earlier about there's a cost-benefit analysis, is even if you had a slave master who told you you had to go and steal, if there was a place that really punished you for stealing, you'd be really careful what you stole. You'd steal smaller things. You'd steal, and, and it constrains. It really does push it down. Your child will sin. They will satisfy their master, but they will satisfy their master with smaller things. And and, pe- and some people go, that's bad. It is not bad. I mean, it's the picture of, like, the reason they have streetlights, right? If there's no streetlights, people steal more. They do more violence. You put light on a situation, and it constrains it. It didn't change the people at all, but it sure changed their behavior. Right. And that's what the spanking does. You're bringing light to the situation. You're exposing it. You're causing them to see it for what it is. And because of that, it suppresses it. It doesn't eliminate it. It doesn't like change speeding. the nature of the people. It's like speeding. If you have police officers out pulling people over, people are going to speed. But there's a difference between people speeding 30 miles over the speed limit and people going five miles over the speed limit. There is a huge difference between those two. And one, you have horrible, horrible wrecks. And the other ones, you have people, you know, and they're going to sin. But it is a much smaller sin. And the negative effects of it are m- greatly minimized. And, you know, there's people out there who will tell you that, you know, you, when you're spanking a child, you know, you're not you're not successful until the child's heart has changed. And you, you, you have not You have an issue there, because if th- this child is a slave to sin, you can't change their heart. You know, only Christ can change their heart. Um, so if, if that's your standard of success, it, that's an impossible standard. Now, that's not to say that, you know, if the child is still rebelling against you. You know, there's a, there's a time when you can feel your child and like every muscle of their body is set on rebellion. And, you know, if you're saying that, you know, that that also needs to be punished and that also needs to be dealt with. And if you're leaving your child in rebellion, you know, you're not complete. That's fine. But, but don't see that as an actual change of, of the core heart and changing them from a rebel to now someone who is submitting to God. You know, that's not the case. But it's, it's, it's you know, dealing with the issue such that they say, I am not going to continue down this sin. Instead, I'm going to obey my parents in this instance. Not because I love God, not even because I love my parents, but because I say this sin costs too much. There's a verse that people almost always use in the wrong way, and it's man looketh on the outward appearance and God looks on the heart. And they'll use it to, you know, say, but you can't judge my heart. And the answer is, is right. But we can look at you from the outside and see things. And this is true in spanking is you don't spank and judge their heart. But you do look at their outward. You look at their behavior. The purpose of a spanking is to change behavior. And that is all you can change. You cannot change their heart. Outward manifestations of the heart, you can see. You can see someone go from violence to submission, from anger to, to being calm. You can see those things. That's not looking at their heart. That's looking at the outward appearance. You know, when we talk about correction and the importance of it, there are parts when you spank that you actually talk to your children about the subject of the correction itself. I mean, you actually talk to them about why you're correcting them, why you're chastening them. And Proverbs three eleven through 12, I talk with my children about all the time. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. And I give my children examples. I'm like, if you had a dog and we had to keep it out of the street and you were teaching your dog to stay out of the street and you had to, sometimes you had to, you had to chain it, you had to, you had to put it on a rope or you had to take it on walks and you had to teach it things and you had to train it. And the dog didn't like the training you were giving it. And the dog, 
if the dog could look at you and you think with his eyes, he's looking at you going, you hate me. Why are you doing these things to me? And you know that you're doing these things for the dog's good. And I'd talk to him about if you saw a boat and it was sailing across the ocean and when the person had to correct its course, if the boat fought back against the person, you would be like, what's wrong with this boat? I know where it needs to go. I know how to direct it. And the boat hates me directing. I was like, and the, you know, and the kids, they hear this and they kind of laugh and they, you know, do you understand that I'm doing this to teach you that this correction is for your good? And they can understand these things. They can actually look at it and see. And they're never going to go, oh, please, Daddy, I need another spanking. They're never going to come to you and tell you that. But there is well, I've a part heard of, of children doing that before, <laughs> but it's rare. <laughs> right. But there is a part of it where they can start to look at it and go, I understand the good of the correction I'm receiving. They can genuinely see it. And as you get older, it gets easier and easier to look back and go, I really wish I could still get spankings for some of these things because the, the punishment that I receive now is a lot more painful and a lot more complex. And we need to remember, right, I mean, part of in introducing this, I talked about, you know, the psychologists are all going, you shouldn't do this. The reason they do that is they despise the correction of the Lord. I mean, let's just understand right. they hate the idea that they receive correction because everybody does not they don't receive it as a son but their sin is constrained and they hate that idea of their sin being constrained so part of what drives them is they go i don't want anybody else to have the sin constrained because how dare anybody constrain my sin and so part of our attitude needs to be let's make sure that we don't despise the correction of the lord Otherwise, how can we make children understand that they shouldn't despise the correction of the Lord? Because it does tie together. I don't think you can separate the two. I mean, it's probably a, an even bigger worldview problem there where it's not just, oh, I, you know, I don't want their sin constrained. It's I don't even want to submit to the idea that there is a sin structure like that. And I don't want anybody else causing their children to submit to a world that has a sin structure like that. We just want to deny that the world is like it is and that God is like he is and that we are like we are. And we're going to remake it in our own image. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, just there's a couple things from that passage we just read in Proverbs that it's talking about, you know, whom the Lord loves. And, and it's the same thing that was in the Hebrews passage. You know, a father who is correcting his child with spanking is showing that child what it's like to be saved like you were saying you can't save them through this but it is a picture of what salvation's like you know it's god doesn't love those that aren't saved not in the sense that that passage talk, is talking about you know god doesn't call those his children who aren't saved like hebrews was talking about so this is saying this is what it's like to be saved is God is going to smack you around a little bit. And, you know, I, I don't mean it to be flippantly, but, but God is going to scourge you if you're actually his. And what you don't want is you don't want him to let you just run amok. You don't want him to just release you because that's when he's treating you not like a child. That's the really dangerous situation to be in. And I think why why we see the society moving to the point of saying that it's it's wrong to spank your children is because the church despises, the visible church despises the chastening of the Lord. It doesn't want to think he scourges every son he receives. They don't want to think that he will produce righteousness in me 
that that is what God will do. He will conform me to the image of his only begotten son. He will change me. He will force me to do this. And so the church doesn't have that testimony to say, don't despise the chastening of the Lord. So how can they then turn around and say, don't despise the chastening of your father? They don't, they don't want their spiritual father to be chasing them. So they, they make it so even the church speaks against it because they don't want the chastening of the Lord. But every son that God receives, receives scourging. And everyone, in the end, they see the goodness of the scourging. And I'm not saying every time you're scourged by God, but you see the goodness of the scourging. You can see the constraint of sin because it's effectual. He's a good father. He's the perfect father that it says in Hebrews. Yeah, afterwards <clears throat> it yields the peaceful fruits of righteousness. You know, but right. in the moment, no, you don't like it. But it's really important that you talk about the church that way because you know, our expectation is not that the psychologists are going to watch our podcast and be convinced what? by it. <laughs> but we, what we're really trying to push against is how the church has let that kind of anti-Christian, anti-God worldview shape their thinking in this one area really, really distinctly. I mean, you know, one of the reasons that we're having this is because you can go all over the internet and this is a huge debate among Christians whether or not you should do the things that are plainly taught in scripture and they're plainly taught in scripture because they're pictures of God that represent the way that the world is. And Christians want to say, no, not that. And that's really dangerous when Christians start thinking like the world. And, and I mean, you go into those discussions. I mean, the language that's used there is you should not spank your children. Instead, you should love them. And so, I mean, it's not even, you know, I mean, it, and it's, it creates this false dichotomy that spanking is hatred. And that not spanking them is loving them. Where scripture says the exact opposite. I mean, there are children who have never been spanked. And their parents hate them. Their parents despise them. And, you know, I mean, and that is the language of scripture. But in the end, we've gotten to the point where within the church, people who are recognized within the church, and I don't mean crazy, I mean, you know, within reformed circles, where the argument is, is, hey, if you do choose to spank... Make sure that you try to find a way to also show love. And, and to, to not chase and to allow their sin to grow, allow their sin to continue to expand, is hating them. And, and what happened, you know, I, in New Zealand, they have a bad problem with child abuse, so they made it illegal to use the rod. And then the problem with child abuse skyrocketed. Because, of course, it's going to skyrocket because the problem already is they weren't using the rod for correction. They were using the rod to express their anger towards the child. And you make it illegal and they, they just wait longer so they're angrier so that they use it more violently against the child. Right. But when it's really correction, that is loving because just to let them continue in their sin is, is hatred towards that child. And so... By constraining it further, what you just get is more hatred towards the child that actually ends up in child abuse. And the, I mean, part of the really sad thing about that is those parents who have n never abused the child physically in that kind of way, um, but but still in the sense that you're talking about of hating their child because they've never spanked them, they don't think that they hate their child. Right. They they think that they love their child. They're being told all over the place that they're loving their child by choosing to parent their child the way that they are. And the Bible's saying, no, you hate that child. You really need to listen to the Bible on this one. And it's going to have consequences. It's going to have consequences right away. 
where you're dealing with a terror in your house that you don't have any kind of handle on and you think that you love this terror and and the way that you're you know and and in the end you you'll find that you you keep telling yourself on the one hand oh i really love the child but you know the other part of you is saying man i can't stand my kids i cannot wait for the lockdowns to end and then shove them back into school because actually you do hate your children you know, Proverbs twenty three twenty four says, he who spares his rod hates his son. And people hear that all the time. But the second part of it is, he who loves him disciplines him promptly. And one of the things that's really important, you know, like I was just saying, the reason that you get child abuse is that you keep going, no, I don't want to spank, I don't want to spank, I don't want to spank, until then you get really angry and then you beat the child instead of trying to discipline him. And God's really clear. This is what love looks like. Love looks like when you see the sin, you deal with the sin. You don't make it all about a personal offense towards you to the point where you lose your temper. You discipline promptly so that they connect the sin to the discipline and they recognize you're trying to correct them. And promptly, promptly varies as the child grows mm -hmm. in age. When a child is very young, there have been times where somebody said, oh, they did this while we were out. The child's a certain age. There's, you're not going over and disciplining them for this. But even where a really little child, when they get angry and they throw a temper tantrum, right then and there, kind of looking at them, get, no, giving them a little pop of like right there immediately, right after they've done this. You can do this with very young children. As a child gets older, the mom can say, go to your room and wait for your dad to get home because they're old enough. They can hold it. They can understand it. They can know what they did. And But you shouldn't go, I'm going to spank you in a week. Even, right? you know, I'm going to spank you in three months from now. But I mean, so promptly can be, it doesn't have to be within seconds every single time, but it does need to be so that the child can connect it directly to what they're being disciplined for and understand it. Otherwise, it's not correction. Otherwise, it's just violence that happens to them for no reason. They don't even understand it. And, I, you know, another part of that, too, is consistency, that there are um, rules and the child knows if I break the rules, then here's the consequence. Now, right. you know, to uh, that's an impossible standard to meet, but it doesn't mean, you know, because uh, we all make mistakes and get lax when we, sh you know, should or we make rules that we later realize actually those were not great rules. Let me back those. <laughs> let me back down on those ones. But, you know, but but the, the general principle is that the child should not be surprised when it's like, well, you know what you did and you're going to get you're going to get in trouble for it. Right. You know, it, it should not be random. You know, it, it's important to make the rules and enforce them consistently as best that we can. And especially between husband and wife, it's really good if they're consistent between how they're enforced between a husband and wife. When you can get away with one thing in front of one person and not that get away with it in front of the other person, it starts to make the definition of sin arbitrary. And what we want to teach our children is God defines sin and it's not arbitrary. And yes, we make rules that they then have to obey, but... The point is, is that it's not like it's varying all the time and it's fickle and it's based on our attitude. It shouldn't be based on which parent it is. It shouldn't be based on the child. It should be, this is wrong. Right. So, I mean, if hey, just for, for dads and for moms out there, I mean, particularly for dads, if your children know that when sports are on, you're not going to get up and discipline them, guess what? They're going to sin more whenever you're they, – they, you know – there should be a version of the Santa Claus song written for children. They know when you're distracted. They know when you're not. They know when you're asleep. They, you know, I mean, they, I mean, children. They know when you're at work. <laughs> yes, I mean, yes, I mean, they, you know, and if you think children don't plan sins to a certain degree, I mean, sure, there are sins that are, you know, off the cuff. Sins but, of opportunity. But yeah, but there are plenty of times where they, you know, hey, 
when mom leaves, that's when I'm going to do this. When dad leaves, that's when I'm going to do this. When these things are going on and you need to structure your household and make sure that you're willing to do the job that you have to do, regardless of whether something's on that you want to watch. Right. And I think as a broader point, you know, I think we uh, tend to really underestimate, you know, children's in- intelligence and, uh, you know, how much they understand, you know, because like my youngest son can barely put two words together, but he can understand a whole lot. You know, he can understand have this bite or <laughs> there will be consequences. You know, he understands these things. And and, you know, of course, you know, the older, you know, a couple years older, there's a lot more <laughs> that they understand and, and plot and plan and see the connections. And, you know, that also that, – that goes both ways. I mean they might be trying to outsmart you, but they can also tell when, when you know, maybe you have a veneer of disciplining them because uh, they have broken the rules. But actually, you know, if you're doing it out of anger, they can also see through that veneer too. Oh. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's not just don't let your kids outsmart you, but don't think that you can uh, – you can be having a bunch of resentment and just getting that past them. Yes. And that's provoking your children to wrath. When they see your discipline is just about um, about not correcting their sin or constraining their sin, but about you not dealing with your sin, that's how you provoke them to wrath because then they go, this isn't about me, this is about him. Right. When all so your they is for your pleasure or it's for right anything like or, that. Or yeah, it's to relieve your, your anger or to relieve your anger maybe even about another situation. So you come and you use the rod out of anger. Instead of you know, these are the things that provoke a child to wrath and we need to be really careful about not having that hypocrisy and randomness and you know, this time I'm just gonna laugh about it and the next time I'm gonna spank you as hard as I can. I mean that's a real big problem because that's also how do they know? They should know what they get spanked for. They should have that understanding because you've made it clear to them. And sometimes you make it clear to them after the fact where you go, you should have been able to figure that out. But, you know, they should know you violate this and you do it again and you're going to get punished again. So we've been talking about what one of the things that a rod does, which is basically constrains evil. That's kind of what it says in Proverbs 20:30. Blows that hurt cleanse away evil as do stripes the inner depths of the heart. It really works. And we need to not pretend like it doesn't. And the world wants to pretend like it doesn't, that it produces evil. But God says it cleanses away evil. And again, it doesn't change a heart. But it does constrain it. It does cleanse away the evil. And it says stripes, you know, the inner, that cleanse the inner depths of the heart. But the way that it's the way that I read that and the way that I see that in my own life is there's a part of it where whenever you can see these, you can see patterns in yourself and you go to war against them. And I mean, and I mean, a good example of this is, you know, so, you know, adultery and sexual sexual relations are, you know, you see like if you see a man and a woman spending a lot of time together, people go, oh, they may be having an affair. But if you see a man and his daughter and his daughter is a beautiful daughter, you don't immediately think the man is sleeping with his daughter. People don't just automatically think, oh, they, they might be sleeping together. That's not I mean, it's becoming more common today, but it's it's still very socially unacceptable. And there's a part of it where the reason is, is. There's a huge societal cost if a father did that, if a man did that. You you can be ostracized, you lose your career, you lose your family, you lose all these things. And so there's this part of it where people go, the cost of doing that is so high that even if you have your daughter's a beautiful girl, you go, 
there is no way I'm going to even remotely entertain any thoughts like this. And this is what it means by the inner depths of the heart is the person says the cost of this thing is high. I see these things in me. I am going to go to war with these types of things with me. I'm not going to tolerate them in me. And so they actively, because of the, because of the constraint of sin, because of the, because of the constraint of the spanking, they work to cleanse the inner depths of their heart. They can't do it in a salvific way, but they can do it to say, I'm not going to entertain these things because these are how things build up to larger sins. And I think that's, and that's what this verse is talking about is you've, you've caused, you've increased the cost of certain actions to the point where they will work to avoid those actions. And there's some costs that you can increase that's not based on pain, right? The shame of being taken out to be spanked, right? There's, there's things involved that are, you know, that, that do that without the physical pain. But this verse is talking about the physical pain. It's saying you need to rebalance it. So they say it's not worth it to experience that hurt. You know, the, the King James says the blueness of the wound is what chases away the evil and cleanses away the evil. So, I mean, it really is talking about pain here. And if all you're doing is spanking where you go, well, I just want them to know I'm upset with them. That doesn't help them rebalance that equation to say this isn't worth it. What helps them to rebalance that equation is you go, this hurt. I don't want it again. The pleasure I received isn't worth the hurt that I received. And think about how, as as an adult, how God deals with your sins. And if God's actually really correcting you, you're feeling that same sort of thing. You're feeling, okay, there's pain associated with going down that path. God's, God's making that really difficult for me. There were really bad consequences. I'm not going to do that again. And if you can see the hand of God in that and you say, okay, this is how God's dealing with me as a child. He makes it painful for me to do those kinds of sins that I would otherwise do if left unconstrained. Why would you think that it's any different for a physical father and their physical child? And, you know, there's a part of this where uh, parents are sometimes fooled by their children because their children want to prove that the blows that hurt do not cleanse away evil. And so the child will, you know, certain children at certain times will kind of decide they're going to war with their parents and they just got spanked for it. So they're going to immediately do it again. Then they get spanked and then they immediately do it again because they're trying to prove that, you know, I'm the boss and you can't affect me. And, you know, it's important uh to not let the, not let the ch- child, uh, you know, convince themselves that the scripture is not true. And they will work very hard at it. Just like, you know, Christians sometimes work very hard at believing that, yes, that pain, well, that wasn't because of that, that, you know, they have consequences in their life that is that they don't directly see a causes B, you know, and that they go around and they, they keep going. Yeah, that didn't hurt. That's not because of that. That's it was unfair why I got spanked. All the things that children say are the same thing that that Christians say when God chastises them. They want to pretend like they don't know why they got it. God's being unfair to me. Or that didn't hurt. All the lines that children use, Christians use too when God chastises them. I mean the the spiritual picture of chastisement, it's it's frequently not physical pain. It's usually worse when you're a Christian. And that brings us, I think, neatly to Proverbs twenty two fifteen. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of correction will drive it far from him. And this is a belated answer to the earlier question is why do psychologists get this wrong? Is 
they have foolishness in their heart and it was never driven out of them. When a child grows up and the foolishness that is in their heart has not been driven out, they just become a foolish adult and they can entertain bigger foolishness. And this is part of it is a sin begets bigger sin. And one of the things I talk to my kids about is, I mean, I, I talk to them and I say, do you understand that dad gets spankings and my spankings cost a lot more. I wish I could have the transitory pain, the transient pain of just getting a spanking for the things that I have done. Sometimes it costs me a thousand dollars. Sometimes, you know, I mean, just foolishness in my life that and this is, this is, I think, I know I've said this in other episodes of one of the most interesting discussions you can have or you can think about is how much of your personality is you and how much of it is sin that has grown up so tightly interwoven with you that has been unchecked that you can't separate it from yourself anymore, that you can't, it, it's part of you because, and it's grown up around you. You know, at one point it could have maybe been peeled off, but now it's so tightly interwoven that there are these things, you know, I mean, and this is something that the Holy Spirit deals with in the life of a person. But I mean, but if you look at someone who's unsaved, this is, this is who they are and they can't separate the two. And there's this part of it where if you, as a child, when a person is a child, you can deal with some of these things in a way and constrain it. You can bend them, you can shape them so that these things do not affect them as great later in life. But would you rather have a spanking or a divorce? Would you rather have a spanking or be unemployable? Would you rather have a spanking or have a Lyme problem so that you have no relationships, that every relationship in your life is destroyed until finally that cost gets high enough that you're willing to make these changes and try to cleanse the depths of your heart? I mean, these are the things and people say a spanking is horrible. And you go, really? You have no sense of cost. You have no sense of damage. You have no sense of, you know, the homelessness problem in America. Somebody said uh, Elon Musk could solve it tomorrow because he has $40 billion. And it's like, you're out of your mind. The government spent far more than $40 billion yeah, trying to- $40 trillion. Right, trying something. to combat homelessness. And cleaning up homelessness will, I mean, it is. it will not be pretty. You know, I mean, there will, I mean, I think everybody has this idea of this, this beautiful solution to it. It will not be pretty because in the end, you've allowed people's sins to grow out of control. And it is not neat or pretty how that gets cleaned up. And what we're talking about is how do you prevent it from getting there? Because in the end, our society has said, fools tell you how to raise children and we're going to listen to them. And a lot of them are, you know, the same people that are saying, don't use the rod. They're saying that a, a boy can be born a girl. They're saying all kinds of things that are just don't make any sense. They're just ridiculous. But they can't even see how foolish they are because, like you said, it's so entwined in them that they don't think they're being foolish. They think they're being incredibly wise that other people are being foolish for not thinking the way they think. And the reality is, is a lot of these people just needed some discipline when they were younger. Right. And unfortunately, our system, in a lot of cases where you're going a, an academic route like that, you can get pretty far where you don't do it. You know, blue collar workers can't go as far before somebody will, you know, <laughs> punch them in the face for doing it. Right. But in academia, you can keep spouting this foolishness and just let it grow and entangle you to the point where you can't see what's, what's, you know, you can't tell the difference between bitter and sweet. Right. There is an aspect of American academia that it solely exists for the justification of sins. I mean, all of this 
you know, this is a very common theme throughout Proverbs with the difference between wisdom and foolishness and how you deal with them. Proverbs 10.13, for example, Wisdom is found on the lips of him who has understanding, but a rod is for the back of him who is devoid of understanding. And it, you know, basically, this is like, this is what your life is. Either you're going to have wisdom or you're going to have foolishness. And if you have foolishness, expect pain. And as a parent, you have the opportunity to deal with that with your child when the foolishness is still small and where the associated correction for it is relatively small. Or you can wait until they're an adult and let that foolishness grow and multiply and snowball. And then the pain is just a whole lot worse. And this is because of the way that the world is, not because of something extra added onto it. And it's and it moves up too, right? I mean, instead of spanking them on the buttocks, you get beaten on the back, right? When you get to be a grown-up fool, the beatings get harder. They don't get softer. They get harder and they get worse. And so what you're doing and and using the rod properly and correcting your child with the rod is you're trying to avoid them getting beaten later because the that is what foolishness causes. It causes a beating. The question is, how do they get beat? And how hard do they get beat? And where do they get beat? But the foolishness will cause them to be beaten. Right. And you can, and again, the argument is, is look at these people who've never been disciplined and they're successful in life. Like, I mean, even if you look at academia, you know, there are people who are these psychologists out there and they're saying these things. And part of this is the scripture also talks about this, about how that fools, fools will bond themselves together they will group themselves together to protect one another. And what we're saying is, is there's a point where God is going to judge us as a nation because we've refused to listen to him. That, you know, those that are companion of fools will be destroyed. And so there's this part of it where God's saying, hey, if you do end up ganging up together as a group of fools, it's not, and you point to yourself and go, look at us. We're fine. We're fine. God does not say, oh, well, then you get away with it. No, God just God just judges you collectively. So there's a part of it where we have to, you must reject this thinking. If you don't reject this thinking, you're going to be with them. You're going to group yourself with them, and God is going to judge you with them. It kind of escalated quickly. We were talking about disciplining children, and now God's going to judge the country. The end of Western civilization <laughs> as we know it. <laughs> but... <laughs> But we actually go, he has to do it right away. But you look at academia, academia is going to be judged. I mean, it's right. gotten so nutty. And I'm not saying certain fields. I'm not saying all fields, right? I mean, there's engineering fields that aren't nearly as bad as a lot Computer of the other fields. Computer programming is a wonderful you know. field. Yeah, <laughs> physics, yeah. I'm talking about things like philosophy. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Literary analysis. <laughs> but, but what I'm talking about is that there's a lot of these so-called soft sciences, which aren't really science at all. And a lot of them, they're just breeding more and more foolishness. And we shouldn't expect this stuff to continue. As soon as there's a downturn in the market where we don't have that much money, I mean, if you have any financial difficulties, a lot of these things will just disappear. They're just not worth it. They don't have any real value. It's just, you know, it's the indulgences of a rich culture. And so it's really easy for them to think of, look, we're, we're on the top now. Well, they can be on the bottom really quick. You know, another thing that the rod does, because there's things that the rod can do and things that the rod can't do. And one of the things that the rod does, which the psychologists don't accept, they think that the child should respect the parent in the same way the parent respects the child. 
and they don't look at them as being two different levels, which is why the child's opinion is just as valuable as the parent's opinion, which is foolish because the child is a fool. He doesn't know anything about the world. The parent has hopefully, regardless if they're able to provide for a household, they're able to run a household, they know enough about the world that they're not in the same category. But that use of the rod is to separate them. It is to say, this person is worthy of honor. This person is has to submit. I mean, it's to set that stage, right? Because, you know, Deuteronomy 5.16, honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you, that your days may be long and that it may be well with you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. If you don't create that difference, then if you're not teaching your children that they better respect their parents, they'll go through life and not respect anybody in Everybody, they'll think, look at how, how dare you say that to me? Do you know who I am? And we've dealt with them. I remember a specific employee that was acting that, how dare you suggest that? And it's like, you're an incompetent fool. What's your problem? But they don't understand that like doing things means that you're in a different position and that you actually are due respect. And that they should be working to get into that respectable position. And you teach a child that by showing no, I'm the one that uses the rod on you. You do not have the right to use the rod on me. Paul talks about arguments from nature and things like that. And, you know, everyone would say that someone has to show some respect to a police officer. And one of the reasons why they have to show respect, and, and they can't come up with a good argument for it. I mean, but there is a natural, there is a natural respect a child is to have for his parent. And if you throw that away, you really erode all other forms of respect and honor. Because there's just part of it where, I mean, the person who brought you into the world, the person who took care of you when you were a baby, the person who fed you and took care, there is a natural sense of honor that you should have for them. And if society erodes that and destroys that and says there is nothing. Or if the parent does. Right. And the, right, and the parent does it directly. It destroys all of – there's no other form of honor that is as fundamental as that one. And so, you know, the, all the other ones, they're, they're, they're less natural in a sense. And so it's a part of it where it just it destroys the culture itself. Well, and what you end up doing is is you can't get away from the you can't get away from the fact that God made a structure where honor is due somewhere, and you just end up replacing it with something else. Right. Either you know you're this, at the psychologist's level, and and you just replace all of those structures of family and and parenthood with the state, effectively, or you know you you just you. As a child, you start looking for substitute fathers, right. whether it's the, the football military. coach or the military or the local gang or, you know, you look for somebody who's going to discipline you. You look for somebody who's going to tell you this is the way the world is. Shape up. I'm going to show you what success is. And some of those people actually they're going to step in and they're going to do a decent job of it. And others are going to lead you to destruction. And I mean, that's one of the other things that the rod does is it actually puts you in a place of security where people think that creates insecurity in the child. But there's a reason why the two-year-old toddles over to the, the, you know, the table that has the cookies on it and looks back and then reaches up for a cookie when he sees that his parents are looking at him. He's looking for security. He's look, they're smart enough to know they'll destroy themselves. They're smart enough to know that they're on the path to destruction. And so they check to make sure that they have the security of somebody stopping their evil tendencies because they know what they have enough of a sense of what the, the result of that will be. And so children do this all the time. And if you don't give the rod, if you don't use the rod, what you end up doing is making your child very insecure. Now, if you use the rod arbitrarily, if you use the rod out of anger, 
you can accomplish the same thing where your child has no sense of security. But if you're consistent in your punishment, you're punishing for correction, then all of a sudden the child can be secure that his sin will be constrained so that he won't destroy himself. And that is how you have peaceful children. That is how you have joyful children. If they're always afraid that nobody's ever going to constrain my sin, that won't make them happy. Sin does not produce joy. Right. Sin produces misery. It produces death. And so there's some people that go, oh, just let them do what they want. That won't make them happy. That will make them very sad. If you want your child to be happy, you have to constrain their sin. There's a story trending today about a father who was taking a family trip to Disneyland. And he had an older daughter who wanted to stay at home. And he let her stay at home. And then during their trip, she saw it and got very angry at him for allowing her to stay at home. And she said, you should have made me go. And, the, and, and it was, and so I didn't read the whole article. I just started reading it, but it was this discussion of, it's hard to know what to do with parents, but it's exactly what you're talking about. Right. It's this, you know, you're supposed, you should have made me go. You know that I don't make the best decisions, you know, and you're supposed to be looking out for me. That's your job. And the parents like, you know, the gender change stuff and all that. I mean, the ones that are the parents that are sitting there saying they're not going to stop their child from doing this. Are they nuts? Because the child, in a lot of cases, there's lots of people pressing them in one way. And the parents are the ones that are supposed to be going, no, that's not happening. And instead they go, oh, we don't want to stand up against these people. No, that's the responsibility of the parents to give that security to say their sin will be constrained. Right. And they hate their children. I mean, they absolutely, they absolutely hate, their, hate children. their children. So one of the things that, that spanking also does is it teaches humility. And I mean, Proverbs 29, 23. A man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. There are so many other verses we could have used. You know, a, haughty, a proud you know, spirit goes before a fall. I mean, just pride is such a central human failing. I mean, it's a, it's a root of so many sins. And there's an aspect where when you spank someone, like you said before, there's a part of it where the parent says, I'm in a position to do this. And it puts a child in a position. And when the child submits to the discipline and receives the correction. There's a part of it where they're recognizing their place in the world and that is humbling to them. It is, I mean, pride is putting yourself in a position greater than you deserve. And humility is putting yourself in your proper place, recognizing your place in the world. And so, I mean, you know, there are, there are employees that, that think more of themselves than they should. I mean, one of them could be really? sitting at the table. <laughs> Two of them. possible. <laughs> In the end, I mean, when and when God when God chastens us, this is the purpose: is to put us in our proper place. And people, there's a you know, they put me in my place. And like you talked about, it gives you security to be put in your place. But you have to be humble to recognize that this is your proper place, and that this is a place you need to recognize and accept. And so many parents that are buying into the modern things basically say that they don't need to, you know, the two year old that's. You know, throwing the temper tantrum. They just let them do it because, you know, what what are we supposed to do? We just need to let them do it. They need to express themselves. There will be the point where they're basically going, you're honoring me by allowing me to do whatever I want. And then they will say, you have to continue honoring me. I told you to do this. You go do this. And this is how you have so many single mom households that are just in horrible shape where they're tear they're tyrannized by their children, especially sons when they go through puberty. All of a sudden, they weigh more. They're, they're a lot stronger. And they never 
taught them that, no, you have honor due to me. You, they never taught them their position. So it will destroy. I mean, it just is so destructive because everybody needs to submit to people. Yes. And, you know, and you can also go too far, which like in Deuteronomy 25, it talks about how when you're judged, the judge says, you know, beat them with a rod if they do something wrong. But never go over 40 stripes, because if you go over 40 stripes, then you've humbled them so far that, you, that you've no longer treated them like they have a valid position. You've made them despised in the eyes of other people. So when we think about it, right, there is a point of using the rod to humble them, but not so much that you're not treating them like a child, that you're not treating them like you're doing it for correction. We're not just supposed to be humbling them to the point where they don't consider themselves to have value and made in the image of God. And so there's a pretty wide swath in there between, you know, one, one use of the rod and, you know, for a, the back of a fool, it's 40. But for a child, you want to make sure you don't go too far because you can. You can put them out of their position the other way where you go, your position is not that you're below me as my son and you have to honor me, but your position is you have no value in my eyes. And so we need to be careful that we don't get so obsessed with discipline that we ever get to the point where we treat them like they don't have any value. So another passage to look at just for the effects of the rod, or say Job 9, verses 34 to 35. Let him take his rod away from me, and do not let dread of him terrify me. Then I would speak and not fear him, but it is not so with me. So, I mean, there's a real connection between fear and the use of the rod. And this is Job talking about the way that God's dealing with him. And Job recognizes, and, you know, it's a very complex story, but Job recognizes that the various different calamities that have come upon him are there to increase his fear of God. And he knows that, that I mean, those things are causing him to fear God. And there's, there's that kind of connection with your children as well. There should be a fear of them analogous to of the fear that a Christian should have of God. Right, because the, the father's a picture of God, right? A physical picture for that child of God. And so there needs to be a fear from that child to the to the father and the mother. I'm not, you know, because both of them have the, the right and the responsibility to use the rod of correction. And when we don't teach our children to have any fear, that is a really damaging thing when they say everybody should be afraid of them rather than them being afraid of things. Because the reality is there's lots of things that you should be afraid of in the world. And children need to be taught that. And also taught that fear isn't arbitrary. If what you're doing is you just beat them because of anger, then all of a sudden fear becomes arbitrary. They're afraid when my father comes home because I don't know if he'll be in a good mood or a bad mood. But what you want to do is you use the rod to teach your children to have the proper fear. If I do the wrong thing, it will have real negative consequences. And that's incredibly valuable for them to know going through life. The other part is it teaches them what to do when they encounter fear. And there's this part of it where, I mean, if you, I think one of the things I've said, I mean, one of the things that I've said before about children is you spend a lot of time just trying to engage your children in thought. And even more than that, you spend a lot of your life trying to learn how to engage yourself in thought. <laughs> and it's, it's really easy if you don't learn what to do when you're afraid, if you don't learn that when I'm afraid, I need to understand that there is a reason for my fear. 
that I need to think, I need to look at what's going on. You're teaching them an orderly world so that they can actually do actions to deal with their fear, that they can do actions to avoid that thing is coming that they feared. And if you don't learn that, then there's just part of it where you go through life and your life becomes this terror. Your life becomes this horror because you actually never learn to engage your, your, your fears thoughtfully. And if you don't learn to do it in that moment, that's really when it matters. It matters when mm -hmm. your emotions are out of control. It matters when you're being tempted by these things, when you're being drawn in a direction that you can stop and go, wait a minute, I'm chasing this thing and chasing this is going to lead to destruction. Chasing this is going to cause me pain. Right now I need to think. And that's what's really important is that you actually, when you teach them self-control, when you teach them these things, that they actually learn to think about the world and they learn to think about their actions. And they become people who can actually prevent themselves. The prudent man foresees the evil and it passes by him. They become prudent. And you look at like, you know, COVID-19, right? COVID-19 has almost no consequences for a 25-year-old. None. But the most petrified group were the 25-year-olds. Because they have no idea of how should you think through fear? What do you do anyway? You know, what, and because they never had to deal with the rod, all of a sudden they're told, oh, these terrible things are happening and all these people are dying and they have no ability to deal with fear at all. And we look at it and, you know, when you have a society that's rejected the rod, it has real consequences on the society. And one of them is you can really manipulate people with fear because they don't, aren't able to step back. That child who goes, I don't want to get hit. I don't want to get spanked. And then they go in and get spanked. It puts that whole fear into the proper perspective. And all of a sudden they start to think about, you know, well, I fear this more than this. So I'm going to do this. I fear going, I fear losing my job more than getting COVID because there's only a 0.0001% chance that anything's going to happen to me with COVID. So I'll keep going to work instead of what they're doing is they're going, oh, I can't go to work. And you know, I, I mean, there's right. just... As a society, we've lost our ability to deal with fear, and I think it ties back to the fact that you know we're we're almost two generations into the idea that you shouldn't use the rod. And we've been talking about the benefits of the rod. I think we should also talk about you know I remember uh, you know especially in homeschool circles there was a guy called Michael Pearl. I don't know how well no known he is now, but you know some of the things he taught. He just had the wrong view of sin, right? I mean, he in his book to train up a child, he starts with this this picture of, well, what you do is you put uh, brownies out on the table for your toddler to get him to come over to it so you can spank him for it because that way he'll know good and evil, which is totally unbiblical, meaning that they know good and evil because of the fall. That's what we, we've all, in Adam, we all ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We know what evil is, and you don't need to train your children how to be evil. But because of that worldview, he got to the point where he's teaching and there was somebody who died that said that they were following his instructions, but they beat their child because the child couldn't say a word properly. And that is not what the rod is for. The rod doesn't impart wisdom or doesn't impart knowledge. It can impart wisdom only if you actually give the rebuke and actually you use the rod to get somebody to pay attention so that they can then actually hear the rebuke. But the, but wisdom doesn't come through the rod. Knowledge doesn't come through the rod. That's not what God gave the, the rod for. Right. So what you're saying is just that the rod by itself right. the, and the pain associated with that doesn't, but that the, the associated ceremonies, if you will, of 
rebuke, of, of explanation of, do you know why you did that? I told you not to do that. You're getting a spanking because you did that. That those are the kinds of things that coupled with right. the corporal acts are those sorts of things that impart wisdom. That's right. corporal acts, A-C-T-S, not A-X-E. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> We don't believe in spanking your children <laughs> with a wood axe. <laughs> and the other thing that, that the rod can't do is it can't solve your anger problem. Proverbs 22.8, he who sows iniquity will reap sorrow, and the rod of his anger will fail. And there's a verse in the New Testament that says the anger of man cannot produce the righteousness of God. The wrath of man cannot produce the righteousness of God. And I mean, so not only can it not save your, solve your anger problem, but your and your anger problem can't produce righteousness in your child. I mean, it's these are just you know, and in fact, your if your anger is what you're doing with the rod, you will actually produce negative results from your spanking because the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God, and that's just there's no way around it. And if you sow iniquity, it produces sorrow. Yes. So a lot of these people that are looking and saying the rod doesn't work. A lot of the time, and I'm not saying that the rod works all the time. I mean, there's, there's, God has, you know, there's been plenty of examples in Scripture of people that had incredibly hard hearts. But we do have the, the biblical principles of this is what we're supposed to do. But if we're doing it just in sin, we shouldn't expect to get anything other than sorrow out of it. We shouldn't expect to get the joy that God says that comes from correction. We shouldn't expect to get to get the other things like a well-behaved child and peace and the other things that come from, from disciplining properly. If we're doing it out of anger, all we should expect is sorrow. Which is the same thing we should expect if you don't spank your children. Right. I mean, and, and I just, I just want to be really clear. I mean, it's, you know, I'm not saying if you have to err, err on the side of spanking angrily, I'm saying sin and both of those are sin. Spanking your child in anger and not spanking your child are both sin. And you should expect both of them to result in sorrow and and hey i mean it's not unusual for a child's sin to cause a parent to be angry or oh, i can't believe they would do that i've told them not to do that you know or they really how many times do i have exactly to tell them? you know i mean this is kind of a normal thing and you just need to know that this is a way that you can sin as a parent is if you discipline your child in anger and you've got to be prepared for my children are going to sin against me. It's going to cause sinful reactions in me and that I've got to deal with my own sinful reactions. I've got to take care of the log that's in my own eye before I can deal with the speck in their eye. And so, you know, I mean, just expect you may need a cooling off period and then spank your child. Right. But, but, you know, see, so you have responsibilities both personally and towards your children and you can't let one or the other flag. I mean, the sinner will grasp on any straw of excuse as to why, you know, whatever consequences come to them aren't actually their fault. And, you know, a perfect one is saying, well, my parents are just angry at me. You know, they don't like me. They have a problem with anger. So I'm going to ignore everything that they say. And so, you know, even at that practical level, you can expect that it's not going to work because it's giving the child an excuse that has validity to it. And it even... Even an, an extension to that is the child will intentionally do things to make their parent angry so that they don't have to think that the, the chastisement, that the correction should apply to them. Because if they can succeed in getting their parent angry, then all of a sudden they can forget why they got in trouble in the first place. So a child will get spanked and they'll go, that didn't hurt. 
Well, they're trying to get their parent angry at them so that they can then ignore the reason that they were in there in the first place. And, and we shouldn't just think that they're passive. They're not passive at all. They're very active in terms of if they get their parent angry, then they don't have to say that their parent had a valid point. And I mean, one of the mercies of God is that there is, there's great opportunities for repentance as a parent, as you, like, like you were just saying a minute ago, when you, you know, you spank your children and you, you do the normal parental lament of how many times have I told you and how many times do I say this and you don't listen to my voice. And in the background, you can hear God go, do you, do you hear it? Do you, did you, did you hear what you just said? <laughs> I mean, and, and, and it is, it is a, it's a rebuke to ourselves. It is a, you know, if you, as you discipline your children, you see in yourself your own sin. You see in yourself, there. I mean, they're made in you your image. You should see in yourself right? your own sin. Yeah. Yes, and if you if you're willing to see, if you're willing to look, you'll see your own your own sin. And it doesn't mean you shouldn't spank them. I mean, it doesn't mean not to spank them because you see in them your own sin. But there's there's a comfort in the fact that they're made in your image. In the same sense, because you do you do understand your children. You can understand them. I mean, my, my wife and I spend a lot of time talking about which different aspects of our children are from me and from her and from, and there's, there are times where by understanding me, she understands my children better. There are times where she looks at my children and she goes, I never knew that about, and I'll tell her I'm exactly like that. And she goes, I understand you better now. I, you know I mean? I mean, and it's, and there are just, there are many, many things that that God is just merciful to us and that he gives us ways to better understand ourselves, to better understand each other, to better understand our children and, and to, from these things, love them better. And that is really a way that if we think about that, that's a real way to control your anger is just to say, so how have I done this to God and how has God treated me? And so then you go in and, and you correct them. You go in and chastise them because they, they need it. And because that's what God does to you. But we don't just go, how many times? Because how many times have you read certain verses? How many times have you read, you know, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then you go, you go and you don't do his will, even though you just prayed it, you know. And so we should just recognize that one of the ways to, to you know, let the light shine back on you. And then sometimes you can approach your child with a lot more humility and a lot more understanding. And, you know, one of the... One of the mercies of the ways that God set up the world is that even sinful actions that are even sinful actions can have good results. You know, take an extreme example. You know, if there's a, a, a kid who, you know, he might he doesn't get biblical use of the rod, but he knows if he says certain things to his mother, his dad's going to smack him in the face. By the way, not biblical discipline by any, you know, stretch of the imagination, but that is still going to have some benefit for him because it is a constraint of his sin. And even though, you know, the way that the father's doing that is sinful, yet still it's, you know, working good. And so, you know, to a, <laughs> a more, uh, hopefully more relatable example is, you know, if you're, if you do have disciplined out of anger and know that you will in the future sometimes do it, it doesn't, it's not ruining your child. You know, if, if you have the sin in your life and you're struggling against it and, you know, and seriously trying to deal with the issue, it's not, it's not ruining your child. I mean, you know, the psychologists are always talking about the childhood trauma of, you know, one time my father said this thing to me. Well, that's kind of ignoring the childhood trauma of sin reigning in their life. And, you know, look at what the Bible says. And, and it spends, you know, a lot of time talking about, about the rod. And 
and we can we can trust that even if we're not perfect in the use of it, that it's still going to be a blessing. Yeah, I mean, it's really important that anybody who's listening to this says, I'm going to do this in faith. I'm going to do this in faith because God says that this is my responsibility as a parent. And there's a sense in which I don't know how it works. I don't know how it works that if I hit my kid with a stick, that it has positive effects. But God says it does. And and you have to, you, you know, you can either say, I'm going to believe God, I'm going to believe all of this worldly wisdom out there. And one of those is going to work and one of them isn't. And it is possible to see the fruit too. I mean, yeah, the it, worldly wisdom produces real fruit that's very visible. You look at our culture, you look at the signs of death, right? Because tattoos, piercings, these are all signs of loving death. And you see that, that the children, since we've rejected these things, that these things are becoming, you know, we're not delivering them from hell. We're not delivering them from death. We're the cuttings, the, all these other things. And that worldly wisdom doesn't work. And I agree, it has to be done by faith. But at the same time, it does work because you can look at the difference in results and the difference in results are pretty staggering. Not 100% either way, right? Because because God did make people different and different purposes for people, but but it is demonstrable and measurable the difference between the two. I mean, if you if you misunderstand what Jonathan said, you could undercut. I mean, Jonathan was not saying, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that it that you can't understand how this, how how spanking works. I mean, there 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 are people out there. I mean, this is this is a common view of well, we like that faith has to be without knowledge. I mean, and we spend a lot of time on this podcast talking about how faith and knowledge are fundamentally connected. Faith and reason are fundamentally connected. If I could restate what Jonathan was saying, I think his point was just very clear. If the only thing you have, if all you have is saying, I'm not sure about this, but I have faith in God and I can trust God, that's enough to approach it. But you should also be renewing your mind and, and taking every thought captive and conforming your mind to the image of God. It's not hard to see why spanking works. It's not hard to look at it and go, if you know yourself, if you know what God's word says about yourself, it's not like it's, oh, it, it doesn't, it makes some sort of paradoxical sense. No, it makes perfect sense. It explains the way the world works. Spanking is, spanking is the right way to do things, and it is, it is reasonable. Yeah, when I say that you need to do it in faith, I don't mean you do it without knowledge. I mean, what I'm saying there is believe God. Yes, anything well, done without faith is sin. Right. So you better be doing it in faith. Believe God that when he says these actions have these consequences— versus somebody who says those actions don't have those consequences right. you know have faith and believe god not the not the one who's an enemy of god and the one of the fundamental things in our society is is just what's the nature of man and you have to believe and you have to have faith that the nature of man is a fallen sinner and everybody has plenty of testimony in their own life of that it's not like they need to have this pointed out to them although they need to because they refuse to believe it or the other choice is that man's basically good, which is clearly ridiculous that anybody that wants to look at it, it's the most obvious doctrine in the world that man is depraved. But yet you have to start out by, the psychologists are starting out by saying man is basically good, so you shouldn't do anything to him. And the Christian starting out saying man is a sinner that needs to be constrained and needs to be fixed. So it's a fundamental difference in worldview that requires faith to have that fundamental difference in worldview. Yes.
over my lifetime, our society has changed a significant amount, and it's rapidly changing more. And I think one of the fundamental things is that we've rejected the nature of man. And to reject the need for spanking is to reject the nature of man. We need to spank our children because we love them and we recognize that they will destroy themselves unless their sin is constrained. And Christians that understand the world have to do this. And this is, this is what we need to be saying to other people. We have so much destruction in our world because people want to believe that man is basically good, that he will make the right decisions, that he will do the things that are the greatest blessing to him, even though everybody knows that's not true. We need to actually walk in the light and be truthful with ourselves, which means that you pick up a rod and you use the rod of correction to help your child. Thanks for joining us. This has been The Conquering Truth, a project of Reformation Baptist Church. If you found this helpful, you can visit us online at theconqueringtruth.com and subscribe here or in your favorite podcast app. Thanks for watching.